Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. She thinks just bought it, the podcast where we talk about what we just bought and what you might need to buy next. I'm your host, Caroline Moss, and I am recording in my home office, and my guest, Hallie Bateman, is sitting right across from me. Hallie, I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. This is the most exciting. No one has like ever been in my home before. And if you don't know Hallie, I think you probably know her on Instagram. If you saw her work, you'd be like, oh my God, I know exactly who Hallie is. She is an illustrator. She made up that word. We just talked about it. She is the author of um, a wonderful book called What to Do When I'm Gone, which you wrote with your mom. I did. It's a mother's wisdom to her daughter. I've recommended it to several friends. I the the day that I bought it when it came out, I could not read it because I got too emotional. It was too emotional. I hear that a lot. I hear from people who can't bring themselves to read it and I have to promise them A, read it whenever you're ready and yes. B, it's funny. It it's is a funny. funny it's a funny book, so there's not like don't be too scared. It's no, funny. No, it's funny. <laughs> it kind of deals with grief and, you know, it is a it's you and your mother kind of concocted this sort of blueprint for what you will do after she goes. It's your art and it's your heart also. Like you your relationship is here and I really love that. And the best way that I can describe Hallie's art and um work and aesthetic is very similar to do you remember the Amelia's notebook series of our youth it was no I don't think so if you're out there and you remember it please get in touch it was one of those books where you would race to the library and like try to check it out before someone else in your class checked it out because like it was um it was it was like a let me I have to pull up is it illustrated it's illustrated it's it's it looks like a marble notebook and it's like okay. a 10 year old who is writing this notebook and she does this amazing art. And it's like, oh, I taped this eraser into my and like, it's just oh, I'm so into that. Let me look. And it kind of reminds me of your uh, work. I'm like looking it up because I just want to show you before we move on with the conversation. And I was obsessed with it. It was very and then it kind of spun off. There was like a whole series. It was like Amelia's, you know, camp notebook or whatever. But it started as this, this Amelia's notebook this was what kind of like what every page looked like. So it was like her journal oh, wow. and it was like pictures of the, you know, oh, we're going on a road trip with my parents and here's a picture of the car. And it just made you want to go out and buy a composition book and be like, I'm going to journal and I'm going to draw. And that's how I felt when I read um, what to do when I'm gone, because it's very oh. much like a reading and then also just really taking in the art experience. But we're not here to talk about that book. Your newest book is out, Directions. Yeah, Directions just came out in 
in quarantine. Yes. Very, very interesting book release experience. But uh, yeah, this is my new baby. I have it in front of me. This started because what you were just you had extra construction paper laying around and you were like, I'm just going to use it up by writing stuff on it. Yeah, I my my brother was in town and we were just like hanging out and make wanted to make art. And so I I love to make art sometimes where I have a big stack of paper and it's about filling up the paper and it's not about fixating on is this brilliant is this perfect it's just fill up all this paper bitch I love Um, that process so so we tore up this construction paper and we were just like drawing and and that was the time I think that was in 2017 when I wrote the first directions and I had no idea what they were. I just put them in an envelope and like literally was just like, I guess I will not put these in the trash. I will put them in an envelope. And then I stumbled across them a year later when I was moving into a new studio. And I came like I looked at them and I was like, oh, these are kind of funny. Like, I guess I'll share these. And they were like shockingly like really resonated with people. And it really made me pay attention it was one of those instances where I would not have continued to make them if people didn't guide me to do that and so it was a really cool experience that felt very magical and like collaborative and it was I mean how often do you literally have people saying please make more of this like and actually being able to like listen to that and and so I made more of them and eventually turned it into a book and it's crazy. it exists now. <laughs> it's crazy. I feel like so much of, um, especially, you know, you've done books and I've done books and I feel like when people reach out and have asked for advice and I'm sure you've gotten this before, it's like, I want to write a book. Like, where do I start? You know, what do I do? And, and there is really no, um, answer to that. Like, because there's no magical, uh, formula. Um, you really are just like, whatever you're doing, you really need to believe in what you're doing. Uh, or in your case too, don't go into it being like, this is going to be a book and all that pressure is on me. Just create and make and write and do. And like something will click, but that's really hard advice to give someone. Like if I got that advice, I'd be like, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, there's, there's the answer of how do you make a book, which is one thing. And then that wasn't even what I set out to do with this. I set out to make something that felt good, that, that was meaningful to people. And then they guided it to be a book almost like, of course I, I made it, but it was like, I would never have thought of that. And in fact, at one point, when, you know, people were commenting, make more, love this, make a book. I was like, I was sitting there like, who are you to tell me what yeah. to do? <laughs> like the book police, like the president of and books. It's there's this sort of feeling where you want to be the originator of every bit of your your genius. Like yeah. You want to be, you know, whatever you call yeah. it. Like you want to be yeah. the the mastermind and yes. and claim credit. And it's just like I I didn't see even when I signed with my publisher I felt that they understood what the book was better than I did at this throughout this process I've been very much like along for the ride of my own creative creation like like, like artistic creation like I've been like oh wow like I wonder what this like even when it came out my intention 
was to find out what it means to people because I yeah. don't I didn't I'm I'm learning more but I didn't fully understand like why this thing yeah. and I, I think I I'm starting to understand it but it's yeah. it's been really interesting I mean it's a wonderful collection of not just advice but real I mean it is it's directions it's guidance it's really good advice for getting from here to there which is the tagline of this book I want to echo that there is something to be said when someone's like oh you should especially when you're so close to your work sometimes you expect like, well, if it was going to be a book, I would have already thought of that. Like I would have already <laughs> like, sorry, you don't really know what you're talking about. Like I wouldn't, this would never be a book. Sometimes you're just not like it. It takes someone looking on the outside to, t to sort of guide you. I, I'm realizing that I think I'm wrong about a lot of my work. <laughs> like I think I'm wrong. I've like, I, I posted something recently that was like a scrap of something that I didn't think anyone would I was just like whatever yeah. and it was like you know performed way better than things that I intentionally yeah. was like was sharing with the idea that people would love it and I'm just like I think I'm wrong I think I need to <laughs> I think I need to like widen what I share and sure. just let the universe do what it wants with it because I think I'm wrong a little I like that <laughs> I mean like that could also just be a direction you know, Ooh, um, yeah. for part two. Yeah. Um, I, lo I love the I love that also in the back. It's a book you could also just read, um, you know, cover to cover. But also there's an index that is like, you know, if you want directions for caring for your human body, if you want directions for enjoying your one and only life, you have all the page numbers. We love an organized book. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I think that there's also, you know, I like I, I love it. I love seeing it all come together. Tell me how you feel about like words on a page as art. Like, is there, was there any part of you that felt like this is an art, this is writing words on construction paper? My creative artistic hero, Linda Berry, talks a lot about how writing and art are sort of unfairly separated. And um, actually, when you pulled up the Amelia book, I thought about her because she she draws and makes comics and writes in um, composition books. Uh -huh. And her work blew my mind when I discovered it in college. And it was just that thing of all the rules you thought you knew being exploded and saying anything is possible. You don't have to start on the left and go to the right and there doesn't have to be rigid panels and in fact it can be a fascinating mess yeah. and um with with directions what i love about it is that the the gravity of the words that i'm writing i feel are really enhanced and brought to life by the fact that it's written in an imperfect handwriting and that it's like splashy ink on a page and it has just a really different effect and even for me as like a really visual thinker as someone mm. with kind of a a poor memory I have to write everything down and I really like mm. writing things down on actual paper uh -huh. with actual ink yep. and so I I see the like the there are illustrations in this book yes um that was something that with my publisher we decided to like have be a part of the book and kind of like distinguish it from just like the online yes. versions of everything. And I think it makes it really special. But I also think that the, the words, the, just the words on construction paper are really 
interesting as images yeah. too and and yeah. kind of like sear their way into your brain at least for me a little easier by the fact that they have an aesthetic that's not just like a typewritten yes. word and sometimes people will <laughs> repost directions in like just like a normal font they'll do like the quote Ooh, and I'm shudder. like I'm like why are you that's weird just repost the image like yes the words themselves you know ha- have meaning but I just I think there's something really cool about a handwritten word yeah. and about like seeing these as image images yeah I mean and also just as someone who creates you know your job is to create and other people can decide how it affects them or what they think about it and I think that also is difficult as a writer too and as like someone I don't like writing nonfiction because I don't want to research I just want to like lie on the page it's a lot easier to like make <laughs> stuff up like a lot of people are like oh, I could never write fiction I'm like why who cares like it doesn't matter like right like, nonfiction is all based in fact that's so much more work <laughs> but it's not up to me and it's not up to you to be like oh like this isn't a book or like oh this isn't an I mean it, and and you, when you kind of let go of that you it like really turned into something I think it's amazing this, this entire book and the entire series was all about letting go yeah my process when I wrote them so so I wrote those with my brother the first time uh-huh. and when they were well received I was like all right I'm gonna I'm gonna like return to the same process yeah so I really developed this like ritual that was much more consistent than any like usually I have my you know I have my rituals of prepping to to draw or whatever but this was like replicating the same experience each time and it was tearing up construction paper dimming the lights turning on some chill instrumental music yeah smoking weed grinding my ink on my ink stone and just like sitting down and being open to whatever wanted to come out yeah and because it was a big stack of paper I obviously I think as as even as you know even as professional writers experience yeah I had the experience of the first few things I would write I would just be like oh my god this is horrible and you're like performing it almost you You like don't feel like yourself you're like you're dissociating you're like I should stop this is really bad yeah because you're already imagine people you're already imagining people looking at it yeah which can take you out of the zone of just making something really authentic to yourself exactly and so that would always happen and it was so it was so like clockwork that I began to just be you know move past that no to ignore the doubt yeah and then at the end of it my office would be like covered in all these construction paper pages that are drying on different surfaces and and then I would like go through and kind of like pull the ones that that I liked and and like that process just repeated many times was how this book came to be and it was something that I've never really experienced something where it wasn't I wasn't being rewarded for like active thought and mapping out an idea. I was being rewarded for like fully releasing, just doing it, just fully re- like releasing control yeah. and yeah. like and trying to honestly like come back into my body when I was done writing right. and then examine what I had put down. It's that and that and that's hard. Like that's like a very difficult therapeutic, um, exhausting process. I think at times. It can be hard. It's I think it's a practice. I think yeah. it's something that gets easier and honestly felt like totally magic. I'm just like, wow. oh, I love this. I love how special this feels and how it, it's nice to 
not feel like you're in the driver's seat. Like it's scary mm-hmm. for a second, and then it's like, oh sweet, we're just in a big mysterious yeah Jesus take the wheel (laughs) exactly (laughs) one way I would recommend if you want to draw but you're nervous get a big thing of butcher paper and next time you have a dinner party paper your table put out crayons or markers and everyone or most of them will draw and it's kind of a safe way to be like we're gonna scrap this at the end the table will like we're gonna like there's gonna be food on it so so it's just for it's just for coloring and then it's in the trash and just like i think that's like a fun i did that recently and it was really really fun oh i love that i feel like people are gonna take that and run with it i hope so i hope so if you guys end up taking that advice and if you guys end up taking that direction um make sure you tag me and tag hallie in uh in the pictures of your butcher paper and don't t- you know you don't have to feel like you have to instagram it just tell us that you did it um yeah this is just a wonderful book i think it's uh it's important um it kind of can tell you new things each time you open it uh you did a really really wonderful job oh thank congratulations. you congratulations oh and i love this one too i did want to say this focus less on what you liked and disliked what did you notice um which i think is great it's very apt uh I recently quit Twitter. Um, Whoa, congratulations. Thank you so much. It was a really big part of, I think, how I like established my identity and like the space that I wanted to be in for work. And then I realized it wasn't really serving me. So I left and so far nothing bad has happened. How long ago did you leave? In the beginning of February. Whoa. Mm -hmm. The coup, I think, really like did it for me. I was like, I don't like this experience. (laughs) Like, not only do I have it streaming on, like, my phone, the TV, like, Dan and I, you know, no one did any work that day. Everyone was just watching the TV. And, but then also just, like, the the Twitter was extremely helpful. I think it it helped me establish a voice. Um, It got me a ton of work. Uh, It got me a ton of friends. Um, My, the first, you know, there's a big backstory to how I met Dan, but a lot uh, the first time we really went on a date was because he like pretended that an editor of his was like looking for a writer and like DM'd me and like the, and we went from there. So yeah, it got you know got my husband, but the it really the, something like switched like you know when you feel that internal alarm going off, um, like you outgrew it. I outgrew it. I like yeah. just didn't, and maybe I'll go back or whatever. But in that moment, I was like, I don't want this anymore and it wasn't just like oh everyone on twitter is miserable it's like it was making me do things i didn't like like oh a race to like retweet and like oh like oh maybe like the thing i say will be like the thing that is so prescient about this moment and i feel like now i have so much more space in my head uh but that particular direction about liking and disliking and just noticing I think has become a lot easier for me to follow because Twitter is so much about like you know who what can we hate today and how much can we hate it and now that I don't really know what anyone is saying about a television show or a book or a piece of music I actually can like enjoy things and like form my own opinion without thinking of like how that's going to land uh yeah it's crazy um it's really, it's really crazy. Like just like, yeah, you don't have to have like a statement or like a big opinion or like a critique of every single thing. And I think that Twitter makes it so. And I also will say too, that after Trump left office, I saw you're on Twitter. Yes. But you don't spend a ton of time. There. No. But I think I saw like, you know, for four or five years, even longer because of the 2016 election, 
we all had this like common enemy and it was like, well, you can always find something that's happening in that circle that's like you can hate and that you can like do a bit on and like yeah. make it. And once that was gone, and especially because he like got banned from Twitter, which took long enough. Right. I kind of noticed everyone was just trying to grasp it. Like, well, what do we do now? Like, this was the last six years of like, you can always count on Betsy DeVos to like wow. spell something wrong. She's the education secretary. Like, you can always count on like these people to be COVID deniers, like anti-vax. Like, that's very, it's easy. That's like, it's low fruit. You know, like if you are kind of in this circle of people who all don't split hairs over like the biggest topics, it is all just jokes and ragging. And then all of a sudden, like that's been wiped and people, it just, I just saw like, I think it's like we lost a drug that was intoxicating us. That was like, that was just rising everything to the level of extremism, which is what the whole Trump era was about. And like all sides got swept up into how extreme everything could be. And, I think it's interesting that you point out that direction in this context because I just think that the love-hate binary of being applied to everything is a way to fucking miss out on your whole life. Yes. And it's a way to go around labeling everything, being emotionally pulled in different directions and like missing the details yep. and missing out on just having a moment where you're just a human being witnessing something, forming your own thoughts and maybe like waiting a beat before just saying, I hate this and that's how I'm going to act about it. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred (laughs) percent. Which I am totally guilty of. And that's why I wrote that because I'm guilty of of our own like movies. You know, we're all the leading, the leading players in our own plays and you know, we're all the stars of our own musicals or whatever. Some things aren't, aren't, we're not made for me. And most things, most things yeah, like <laughs> just a few things were not made specifically with me in mind. But I and and it's OK to just be like, hey, I don't like this. And that the only thing that says is that it's not for me. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It doesn't mean that I have to, like, shout it out to 50,000 people. And there is this drug of Twitter, like. Like the Barclays Center in Brooklyn fits 19,000 people. And I Googled that in respect to the way that I thought about Twitter. And I had 50,000 followers when I left. Whoa. And that means that every time I said something, I was talking to over two Barclays centers. Oh my God. Which is fucking psychotic. And there are people of hundreds of thousands of followers. And I don't care about cancel culture. I don't believe it's a thing. It's not, that's not real. It's accountability or whatever. But like, why do, like, there was some, why did I get into this place where I was like, well, everyone really needs to know what I think about like mayor of Easttown. And I'm going to like, why did I like get on the mic every day with my opinion? I mean, sometimes I had great jokes. Oh, I mean, I'll just chime in to that. say you have good opinions. Thank you. Yeah, I think I mean, look, yeah, all my opinions. I are don't right think I, I don't think that it's just like a whole misguided thing that you slipped into having like that not slipped into that you built this audience. It's like it's a reflection of your work and your voice and everything. But I know what you're getting at is this thing of like, oh, this is my job and it's eating its way into like my actual soul as a human. And I don't know how to separate that. And that's something like I've certainly wrestled with, but more on Instagram than Twitter. And and it comes in different waves and forms for everybody. It, It and you realize it, too, when you have those moments where you're like, 
experiencing something and then you're like, I have to Instagram this. I have to tweet about it. Like I have a thought. And taking that away from me was actually a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. I was pulled out of the moment of lots of different things because I was like, I have a joke. I have a joke. I have to make that joke. And um, every once in a while it's fine. But sometimes I was like, what? high am I chasing here and like why am I chasing it and like could I get it from somewhere else I really admire you for stepping away I think it's really hard I think that the sad truth I'm sure you know a lot of people who are like really big on the internet as well and like a lot of them are on their phones when you're hanging out with them and they're very far from being present and I think to even be like wrestling with that as opposed to being swept into it is like a really good (laughs) a good sign totally for your (laughs) survival I got a flip phone for like three months of I remember that do you want to tell us about that yeah um so after the election I was completely just burnt out and exhausted and it just felt like this like huge marathon was over and and we were just in pieces and I had had a lot of limitations on my phone like timers and things like that and um it really didn't make a difference as far as how I felt even Mm -hmm. if I was only on it like like I think it was just a cumulative years and years of this relationship with my phone that I really needed a break from. So I drove, I had some realization. Oh yeah. I was like writing, I was writing and I wrote a sentence that clicked with me so much. I just wrote like uh, my years long practice of sharing my work for the immediate approval or disapproval of thousands of strangers is starting to feel like an illness that I could die from uh, yes I mean that's how I could her that's it that's it I wrote that I that's, got that's I it. got up and I drove to an AT&T store and I bought a flip phone and I was it one of those big firefly phones for senior citizens with the big fire hydrant on it there's no fire hydrant but it was <laughs> a clunky sure. I, I still have it and so so basically I used it for three months um until my book came out and then I kind of switched back to the my brain was so back on mic oh sorry um I used it for for three months Mm -hmm. and during that period of time I went through an incredible like separation from that world and established like a lot it was just really helpful to learn what it was doing to me and yeah. and learn that I could exist without it and that it felt really good and it it sorry it um posed a lot of challenges mm. that were only consequential when my life got so busy with my book coming out that I actually couldn't do the extra 10 steps that the phone required of me so when my book came out in March I put my chip back in my (laughs) my iPhone but I have had a healthier relationship with my phone ever since because and I I expect that I will reach more breaking points go back to it sure um but I highly recommend if you feel if you resonate with the sentence that I said that it feels like it's something that you is like making you ill like it's a hundred dollars like 
that that's how much the flip phone cost and it was like completely it was completely worth it it was really nice to just have an actual I I have a really compulsive and addictive personality and I don't establish moderation too well and so having you know sending a text like all these like only these really basic things that my phone could do was really nice and it allowed me to get some perspective that even when I came back I just feel less attached to it I feel like I have more of a sense of this isn't me this is my job I'm not I don't have that thing you said where you have to share the joke or you have to share everything like that kind of like healed a little bit like the the, like scab got to like heal over or whatever yeah so yeah highly recommend and like or if you can do it without buying a new thing then like please good for you i have to know did you miss maps did you miss navigation maps was honestly the breaking point was (laughs) i was driving i was driving to like go pick up prints to mail for my book order like i was like running these errands and my my um my book stuff was all happening and I was fielding, you know, meetings and stuff. And I was like, I, I cannot do like, I got lost in Burbank for like half an hour and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. But like, this is great. That is really, I mean, I love, I I really relate to like your extremism too, um, of like, not only am I just going like, I'm not just going to delete Instagram off my phone for a little, I'm like going to like literally take this entire thing away from me and then learn how to swim without it. And like mm-hmm. when I need to go back to it, because yeah, it's very hard just to survive as like a 30 something in a world where every single person has a smartphone. Everyone has email. Like you can email someone. I remember getting a smartphone like uh, my senior year of college and like finding out that a class had been canceled like on my way to class. And like that was like mind blowing yeah. to me. Like usually you'd have to go and there'd be a sign that's like class is canceled. And to me, thinking about that now in the world that we've been living in for the last 10 years, feels so inconvenient but at the time it was just like that's how you found out like you left your dorm and if you didn't get the email in time you'd find out when you got to class yeah and I remember like looking at my Blackberry and being like oh class is canceled and being like whoa like I remember calling my dad and being like this is insane like I just found out my class is canceled like and I didn't yeah. have to go and like it, it was crazy but it, I mean we're very reliant on these like machines we would go to get COVID tests and I would ha- have to print out my <laughs> my code. appointment code or whatever <laughs> yeah. and like forgot it a couple times sure. and there was there was a lot of things that you take for granted and the world is not really built for a flip no. phone but at the same time that's why it feels amazing one of the big things that I observed was that there was a lot of little ch- it wasn't really like the time you know if I I didn't really have the thing where I was like, oh, usually I'd be in bed scrolling. Like, I didn't really do that, but I would be like in line for bagels and I would notice when I had my flip phone, like, oh, I'm just like people watching right now, but normally I would just be like checking my email yeah. in this line. And there's a lot of moments that you just totally are gone from the world <laughs> because yes. you're just like, you're choosing to not exist in space for all these little chunks of time and they yeah. really add up. I think that's one of the biggest things I observed was that we're losing a lot of time that's like two minutes here, yeah. 30 minutes yeah. there, like, you know, yeah. that you could just be staring at a leaf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Yeah. You said something about your uh, process of working on directions and it included 
smoking some weed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know from your Instagram that your relationship with weed has changed over the last, I don't know, a couple of years or whatever. And you and I are about the same age. So, you know, weed was bad, druggies, stoner, like a whole thing. And I think now we're kind of growing into this like new wave of being like, you know, the benefits of weed are great and alcohol is honestly kind of like a way worse a way worse drug absolutely Um, but I also know that you kind of go into your relationship with weed with like a real uh I think sense of like your privilege and just um how that affects how you can have a relationship with weed and uh I wanted you to come on and talk about weed a little bit because we've never talked about it on the show um And I, yeah, like, I need you to tell me a little bit about, like, what that journey has been like for you. Because I don't know how many listeners we have who live in states where it's, is it, is it like, is the term legalized or is it decriminalized? Um, I mean, I think legalized in states means that, like, I think you can still be arrested if it's federal. I don't. That's wild. I don't know, actually. But I don't know the difference knowing, between decriminalized and legalized. But also, everyone knows like who's getting arrested for like weed offenses. Yeah. So I mean, just to completely preface our conversation, yeah. like anytime. So I, I, first of all, thanks for having me to come on to talk about weed. <laughs> I'm excited. I have been, you know in a very not subtle way, I've been really trying to become a weed influencer. It's actually a part of, it's the only part of Instagram that I'm trying to really grow. I'm like, you know I what? Like that I love you. talking about weed. I love, <laughs> I love like the, the sudden, to me feel sudden where I, I suddenly feel like, oh, I want to talk about this. I want to be vocal about the fact that I smoke yeah. and about the fact that this is part of my life. And part of being vocal about that is acknowledging that I'm a white woman. Yep. Black people in this country are almost four times more likely to be arrested for weed, for just smoking weed or selling weed or whatever. Yeah. And it's an incredibly fucked up system that started in the 1930s that has fully grown out of racism. And it was just racism from the very beginning. And so I think that learning about that when you're if you're getting into weed or if you have been getting into weed like it's really a hand-in-hand thing to like learn about that as you learn about the plant so like as you research like what strains you like also research the history and um there's an organization called the last prisoner project that has a lot of good resources and there's stuff out there about like the aclu and i'm still i'm still learning so this is this is where i'm at but Um, so that said, (laughs) uh, it's, it's possible for me to be casual and vocal about weed uh, because I'm white and I, and it's, it's kind of chilling to realize that sometimes. And then also there's so many people in jail in 40,000 people. Yeah. Yeah. And also like who it all, you know, obviously all of that kind of crosses over you know it intersects into all these different like the bail the bail might not be that high but they can't afford it out so they've just been in jail wait you know for like weed offenses or you know while now that it's legalized in some of the biggest states all you see are like these new companies with like great which are led like it's majority by by white white people people who have the capital and there it's just crazy that like a billion dollar industry is blooming at the same time as there's like thousands of people in jail and it's very 
It's very sad. It's really, it's really a horrifying misunderstanding of this plant that it's been twisted into this. Well, yeah. I mean, like, just all the language around it when we were kids. It was like, yeah. oh, my God, you're going to get addicted to weed. Like, oh, so you can't. Yeah. So what you were referring to about about how it was bad is just like something that that was hand in hand with my introduction with weed was like we got to be secretive about this like yeah. I went to UC Santa Cruz yeah for one year <laughs> so my, my freshman year was a lot about sneaking into the woods hotboxing the car yep. smoking weed and being very much like secretive about it and that was sort of the illicit nature of it was sort of why why it had this like enticing yeah. nature like it always agreed with me pretty well mm-hmm. but it also was I don't know yeah like categorized I feel like in my mind like in this way that was kind of negative like I'm a bad like I'm ass. a bad girl and I'm a bad I'm girl right exactly and it wasn't yeah. about the high it was about the action and and when I and at that time I didn't think about the fact that I was a white person no. and had that like it was just like completely uh completely ignorant of of the context but yeah so in the last few years I have had this sort of unfolding realization and change in my relationship with cannabis where you know slowly the laws are changing and then the narrative in the culture is changing where people use the word cannabis instead of marijuana and you know my mom who cried when she stumbled across my brothers and I smoking weed when we were home from college like I remember her red-eyed or like I was red-eyed from weed she was red-eyed from crying <laughs> like what have I done it was like it was seriously so such a devastating conversation wow. I remember just wow. the shame of it and doing something that you know your mom hates that you do mm. there's something to that yeah and so <laughs> sure so is. years later my mom grew weed Flipped a full, full one eighty. <laughs> that happen? Uh, she got divorced, bought a house. My brother's friend brought over six weed plants, and she grew them in her garden. <laughs> and then she grew no. this. Ama- so my mom's name is Susie Hopkins. We named the strain Hazy Hopkins. Um, <laughs> incredible weed. Sad that it's that I smoked all of it. Um, but having my mom give me weed, my mom who once cried about yeah. how sad it was that I yeah. smoked weed, having my mom realize how mistaken that was yeah. and and say here smoke this right like wow was a I mean a freaky Friday. really really kind of recalibrated my relationship mm. with it where I think the experience of smoking that weed really awakened me to this is not bad this is not a bad plant I'm not doing like Yes, I, there's obviously, you know, consult your doctor right. if your doctor's chill. Don't drive. Um, I'm not telling everyone to just like smoke weed with abandon, no, like totally. you have lungs and stuff. But like, <laughs> but yeah, just like just being aware that oh, my the government at least in states is fine with this now. My mom is fine with this now. Yeah, and all of the sort of changing narrative around it uh, has like allowed me to enjoy it way more and Mm. to actually see myself as like someone who has like a a really healthy relationship with this substance that you know I'm I've been sober from alcohol for six years Mm. I'm not uh I'm not really comfortable with most substances because I have 
a lot of addiction in my family Mm -hmm. and the way that cannabis has been for me is just something that feels somehow it just doesn't have that hold on me it feels very like I weed is my friend yeah (laughs) weed is my friend yeah do you feel um I have just found one edible, one gummy that I really like after a lot of kind of trial and error of being like, oh, this makes me anxious. And like Dan doesn't really um, smoke weed or um, eat gummies because he knows it just it like doesn't vibe with his mental state. Um, And I've been really on a journey because I'm like, I know this could be like great for me, but I have to put in the work to like figure out. So wow. Why did you think it could be great for you even? Because I, I have had good experiences. Okay. Whereas like with Dan and like other people I talk to who have just have never had a good experience like every yeah. time. But but that's the thing is that like in high school, you're like, I've said this on, on the show before. I don't remember in what context, but like you don't know what you're you don't know what you're smoking. Like, it's just like some guy yes. who's like friends with your friends, brother from college. It's like you it could be like a bag of oregano. Like you wouldn't even know because you're like 14. And like the first time I smoked weed was like at a like I'm really uh, boxing myself into like a stereotype, but like at like a Mo concert, like at the Beacon Theater in like the late 90s, like I was 14 and if my parents are listening what were you thinking why did you let me go to this concert and you smoked weed oh yeah I went in being like I'm not gonna smoke weed and like some random like probably in my mind he was like 60 he was probably like 32 but like in my mind I was like they're so old like handed me a joint and I was like okay like I'll do it what was I mean like but because there's so much um stigma around I mean 14 year olds probably just waiting a little bit until you're a little older but like at the time it's like no one in my life had any sort of relationship with weed so you only think about it or that you knew or that I knew I think there's a lot of secret I think there were a lot of weed smoking boomers (laughs) out there who only came out recently if I had my wits about me I would have assessed the situation and been like this is not a good place to begin my experimentation with drugs um but when something is like contraband of like course. you're not even encouraged to go about it in a thoughtful way no. because you have to break every rule yeah. to attain it and if so this I is just your think, chance i mean that's like the whole there's just so many reasons to decriminalize it totally yeah yeah like 14 year olds if it wasn't this forbidden thing i bet 14 year olds would be a lot more chill about it i think i think in like two generations we'll have like kids who i mean like just sometimes i think about that like i can't wait to be the generation of like really stodgy like bad opinions you know what i mean because it just means that everyone after us is like more evolved yeah like like even the way that I see, I don't know, like young kids sort of like um, talk about like gender and pronouns and like we're learning from them totally. already. Yeah. Like we we were like, oh, yeah, like we know a gay guy and like that's cool with us. And like like 11 year olds now are like, my friend's trans and like, I don't care. And I'm like, wow, like if I was 11, I would, did not know. But it's because of the exposure and stuff. And it's the same with weed. I think that like, you know, it's it's not as it's just a thing that exists now and it and I think like the the more we go on it'll be like more recreational and I think there'll be like more education around well this is how it's going to make you feel and so like you know you should be in like x situation when you are using it or like yeah, or like learn like observe yourself and learn how it works for right. you I think that that's a huge thing that like maybe a lot of people on their first go around with weed like didn't realize they could do yeah it's just like 
yeah, what if alcohol was like you never knew whether you were drinking tequila or vodka and you just like drank a bunch Turns of it. Turns out it was neither. It was and like then, rubbing yeah. alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> from like a Tupperware. Do you know of, before we talk about like what you brought in, more about your relationship with weed, like is there at all a connection, um, a reckoning, a advocacy of any of these like aesthetically chic like goopy weed companies and the fact that there are thousands and thousands of of, of black and brown people sitting in cells on meaning on are that we would never is there a of. movement of those companies to do yeah. anything is there like a you know this is legal and we 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 raised i mean the fact that they're like we raised like millions of dollars from investors to like we like that i mean i it feels like such a disconnect for me to be like how could that be possible that people are putting millions of dollars of, of into yeah. this business while there are so many people sitting in jail. But I think if anything that the last year revealed to me that I didn't already know was just so much more of a light on the absolute inequities of this quote unquote system that we have and how we don't even really try to hide how horrible it Absolutely. is. Did you hear in about the, the raids in LA of of weed shops where um, shops that are Apple Store presenting, you know, like you said, goopy weed shops <laughs> will be raided by the cops, at, subject to being raided at any time. The employees, largely black and black and brown, are arrested and fined. But why? And the owners are not fined because there's. I don't know the minutia. It's basically that because it's still. I think. I think this is why, because it's still federally illegal. So even though it's legal in the States, I mean, Google it. I'm going to look it up right now. <laughs> Everyone do their own I can't, research. No, I'm going to look it up right now while we're talking and we'll all learn together because okay. I just don't understand. Like, I don't understand. It's this. So what should I, I like L.A. weed raid? I would Google L.A. Shop, weed shop raids. Okay. Like, I yeah, just let's make sure that we're actually saying no. What, that's fine. What yeah, is and and we're all learning together too. And okay, yeah, illegal weed shops thrive. Okay, so these are a tech quote unquote illegal. They're like unlicensed. Right. Right. And oh, okay. So I'm kind of remembering now. This is from late 2019. Does that sound right to you? I think it's been ongoing. Okay, I heard a radio story recently. Okay. But basically, the the way that you have a weed shop in in this city is. In you, Los Angeles. In Los Angeles yeah. is that you have to have had a you've had you have to have the right permit and then you have to have a shop, a physical shop that has been able to be open for years without being able to sell anything. So the only people that can have legal weed shops are people who have so much money who have so they much could pay the rent on a store that yeah wasn't, that they can that they can that they can have a because because yeah. all the permit rules change every couple of years so like only a few shops have like slipped through and then all these other ones are illegal and then their employees get arrested while nothing happens to the owners but the I don't understand, like, and I'm not asking, I'm just saying this out loud. Like, that makes, it just makes no sense to me, but I understand, like, why would it make sense to me? Nothing has ever been fair. Nothing has ever been equal. None it of all, it makes sense. Right. It all comes back to the wealth gap, um, the education gap, the way that, you know, the government advocates for 
constituents or doesn't rather a legal weed dispensary rated by LA police. So I understand. So yeah. basically it all comes down to like, do you have a license, which costs a lot of money? Do you have a permit, which costs a lot mm-hmm. of money? Do you have this storefront that's registered, which we will, cause a lot of the weed stuff. And I think this was a big incentive for New York to pass it to be legal is this idea that all of the taxes will then go back into, um, I don't know the economy like the you know it'll it'll help pay for oh, things the, like it, so the yeah I think the idea is that the taxes are supposed to pay for the communities who've been damaged by the criminalization of weed right or I'm at giving least you a look that says really no, is that supposed really gonna to. happen yeah exactly supposed to so when you asked if anyone's doing anything the answer is I don't know about I, I haven't heard of like a weed shop or anything that's been radically active um, I know there's a black owned shop called pharmacy up in Oakland and there's you know there's really you know amazing stuff going on but I think there's a lot of just legal level rules that exclude people of color and just make it so that nothing happens and so I think when play when states are are legalizing weed they have to plug into the legislation that you know these permit like permits for having things will be you know leaned toward people of color like they have to like make it you know skew but I don't you know it's hard to trust people to do that obviously no I mean and I'm reminded of living in Brooklyn um you know when you at Atlantic Avenue there was always a woman selling churros like uh, from a cart or whatever and they were great and I would get them more than love a churro love a churro like honestly like every Friday it was like churro day for me and I remember like you know that's a vendor you need a license to do that no one on the consuming end gives a shit and also like it's New York like you've seen everything you know and uh, and you're not aware of I don't know. The license thing is like bullshit to me. Yeah. But that's how they'll get black and brown people is like, oh, you don't have a permit to sell church. Like, who are you hurting? Yeah. But it's an excuse. And so what I'm hearing now from the weed raids is like, well, it's not about the weed. It's about the fact that you needed to do all this paperwork and it cost twelve hundred dollars to the paperwork and you needed to register and that cost five hundred dollars and we know you can't afford it. So we now know that we can still target. Yeah. So just to kind of like give context to this, like none of this is accidental. Like this is all from. So uh, there's this guy who was the like dude who spearheaded marijuana illegalization back in the 1930s his name was harry anslinger Mm -hmm. and he was just a enormous piece of shit who was super racist he was like at the head of pro alcohol prohibition so when prohibition ended Mm. he used marijuana illegalization to be the new like cudgel against any you know people of color immigrants and just like was a huge part of building up hysteria about marijuana and there was all this science that was saying oh weed uh we did this really advanced study and weed makes people giggly a little sleepy like it does these things that actually there was like evidence that it could help heal from hard drug addiction and that it, it there was like there was actual scientific evidence that was saying that weed had all these sort of innocent or promising qualities Mm. and he was just like no 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 he he presented this list of crimes to congress that was called the gore files where he presented 200 crimes that were committed under the influence of marijuana and he was like he was really like sending this message that if you smoked marijuana you were gonna murder people and they were gonna like and later they looked into those crimes and they were fabricated it's like of course it was all a 
ploy to keep black and brown people down this dude like hated jazz and hated jazz musicians and was very like threatened by how popular it was and he just like truly is the grandfather of yeah, all the right now. he's the grandfather of all the horrors that have have taken place and and people going to jail for it and having minimum sentences like he he planted the seeds of all that garbage so all of this is sort of descending from something that was so messed up from the very beginning Mm. that we have so much work to do in not just bailing people out and changing the laws we have to change the the reason I want to talk about it more and the reason I've like posted a photo of myself smoking weed on Instagram is like the laws have to change and people's minds have to change like I want I feel like my art is like pretty wholesome and I want people to know that I'm a wholesome ass person who smokes weed and those things go together. Yeah. Like those things are not exclusive exclusionary like that's part of my life and my process and it's not unhealthy. It's actually quite you know positive for me and it's not this thing that I'm, you know, descending into a hellscape of drug addiction. Sure. <laughs> like, no, I color with crayons. I yeah. smoke weed and I color with crayons <laughs> on construction paper. It's very wholesome. <laughs> hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I also think that there's a really great opportunity from a medical perspective to... You know, science is ever changing, as we've learned this year. Um, I've never been more connected with the world of science than I think (laughs) in 2020. Most people will probably agree. But the idea that, like, you know, there's a whole generation of doctors that were fed, you know, medical research that I'm sure was flawed in a lot of ways. And part of me thinks that there probably are there's so many pharmaceuticals out there. There's so many people on different types of drugs. Um, Weed is always the thing that's demonized. But you know, prescription pills are like a problem. Isn't that hilarious that my psychiatrist was like, oh my God, I'd rather you smoke. Yeah, Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) and what you said earlier about alcohol, like when I quit alcohol, I was like, there's no good outcome with alcohol. Like, and and respect to everyone who enjoys it. Like I I have friends that works well for them. But for me, I'm like, I just don't see how this goes well. Yeah. I don't see a path where this goes yes. well. And like, it's so you like, there's a liquor store in every corner. And yet when, when weed comes into the picture, yeah, it's, like, it's so sensational. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's a very funny sort of ironic. It's crazy. World. I, would, I just love more information. Like they really should be testing now. Weed against also like different antidepressants and stuff, because like, that wasn't done like you weren't you have to we're missing all the research we're missing all the research because now that it's legalized 
Um, there are go- there are so many people like you and in in some ways like me who are now introducing it into your routine. But I'm already on, you know, a Xanax, a Zoloft, uh, a right. Ritalin. And it's like I would love my doctor to be able to be like to not go into it and be like, this is bad because it's weed. But be like, hey, like there are some properties here that like if in X, Y, Z situation, you might X, Y, Z. And that's the kind of information I'd like to know. And that's what I think the doctors don't even have that info on because they're like, well, we're not doing research on like, it, like I think their kind of mentality is like, well, it's a it's a legal drug. So if you're taking it, which they, means like, that people you, don't tell their doctor about exactly, it. Which, yeah. yeah. Like I would love to know more about like, hey, like if I've just taken my daily Ritalin and I which is an upper, an absolute sp- literal speed in my body. And then I take like a gummy, like what's happening in my brain? Because you have to be the scientist of yourself. Right. You have to do all the testing on (laughs) Caroline, (laughs) the guinea pig. Yeah. And it's like, right, exactly done by, by trial and error, which I don't know that I want to do that. Um, and it's so, it's like, I want a weed chill doctor that can be like, Hey, in, in like ABC situation, like you might just want to pull back and it's not because like there's anything wrong with weed, but it's because, hey, here's what you've just put into your body. Yeah. And I think really quickly, too, and I know, I don't know if this is your experience with psychology, um, I mean, psychiatry, where they're they're the ones who can prescribe you the drug. Sometimes like a five-minute conversation, like, oh, you're sad, you're not feeling good, not feeling depressed. Okay, I'm going to prescribe you this drug. And you're like, oh, okay. no, it's completely. I mean, I'll take it. But like also fast like, food, yeah. What? Like, could you tell me some more? <laughs> like, I'm very pro-drugs, pro-antidepressants, pro-everything. But I also feel that there's like a lot. I don't know about what I'm putting into my body totally. every day and not in like a like I want holistic like like only natural stuff but like like I'd love to know what this does to my brain yeah and if I feel too intimidated to say to my doctor like well I'm also high half the day and if that could change and if he's like oh well in that case let's do this differently mm-hmm. I'd love to know that but I feel like you're either in a position where you're like I can't tell my doctor I smoke weed or if I tell my doctor I smoke weed, he's just going to be like, well, you know, that's bad for you. Please don't do that anymore. Kind of like the situation yeah. I had. It just feels like there needs to be like a lot more. I would recommend for anyone who is, uh, as we are, stuck in the situation of having to experiment on yourself, um, <laughs> start really small. Like, don't like pop a whole brownie and yeah. just see. Like, <laughs> even I, I just love like if you're smoking something that you haven't smoked before or whatever, like take a puff and like wait 20 minutes and yeah. just like see how you feel. Yeah. And then like go from there. And like actually my husband Jack is kind of doing a purposeful examination of how he feels on on weed and like is taking notes to like make sure that nice. he remembers that like, oh, this thing makes me anxious. Yeah. And, um, we actually had a funny realization that spurred that off because we we smoked a bunch of weed throughout quarantine and then we kind of realized like like let's cool it like stop for a couple weeks kind of like see what's up yeah and at the end of a couple weeks jack was like all right well i've noticed that i am much less socially anxious Mm. and more productive when i'm not smoking weed so weed was giving him anxiety and like distracting him and um, my main realization was I am less productive and more anxious. Sure. And other than that, I just miss weed. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like my main consequence. Yeah. But it was also really cool to learn that. I'm like, oh, sweet. Our like, brains are all different. I mean, yeah. that's why some of us have to take. And we were smoking the same weed, Exa- by the way. Exactly. So like, I think that 
you just have to realize that like like I have friends for whom weed is a hallucinogen yeah. so it's very different for different people yes. and I think that like if you don't like if it some people it just doesn't agree with you it freaks you out just don't even worry about it don't yeah. smoke it but if you want to see if it works for you like try different stuff like write down what you mm-hmm. try and then like be very small quantities and like gentle about it so yeah. that you don't like edibles especially are very easy to misdose and you can like like I've had a candy I've had a very bad trip off of yes uh off of that so. yeah Same. yeah and and I'll, there's some that make me super paranoid I remember I took this gummy I loved the taste and so that's why I was like okay I'm into this but the it yielded bad results like immediately I became very paranoid and not in like a, a scary like alarming way but in a like it was during quarantine we had been playing Mario Kart on Zoom so we would be we were on Zoom with our friends and we were all playing Mario Kart together and I started the I took a gummy popped a gummy like five minutes before the conversation so yeah the waiting is the game a half hour into this I started feeling it and almost immediately I was like Oh, they're no. so mad at me. And Dan was like, stop. No weed. No weed for you. Because like immediately I was just like, are they laughing at me? I'm yeah. Like, no, one, no one's paying attention to you. Aww. But then I but I got a little bit more experimental, found something that I really liked. And now I know like I don't take it during the day. I take it at night. Helps me wind down. Helps me go to bed. Like that's how it works for me. Excellent. But and, and right. Not all weed is created equal. And now we're at this kind of interesting point where like. If, if you've never been into a dispensary in California, it is not. And the first time I went into one, I, I had my mind blown by the experience because I kind of had in my mind what it was going to be like, which is I thought it was just like weed grocery store and you're on your own. It's very, it's very like, hello. And what are you They're looking for? They're called bud tenders, yeah. which I think is so cute. <laughs> bud tenders. It's like going into Kiehl's where they're wearing the lab coats yeah. and you're like, you're not a doctor. Tell me yeah. what I need to put on my skin. Um, they, But you can literally like verbalize like, hey, like, this is kind of my personality. Like, here's my last couple experiences. Like, or if something specific didn't work for you, like, the when I en- ended up with this brand that I liked, and I can't remember the name of it, but I'll find out. Um, it was because I literally pointed to the thing that made me paranoid, and I was like, this did not do yeah. it for me. And he was like, oh, interesting. Okay, like, let's go in a different yeah. direction. This is not high school where you were at the mercy of the baggie. Totally. Of someone's brother's friends, friends, cousins. Those days are gone. Those days are gone. You can and have some ownership. For that same reason, store-bought weed is really strong. It's stronger than a lot of weed that, like, mm-hmm. someone grew. So I always have to, like, be pretty careful That's about right. that stuff. Because yeah. it's just, like, it's potent. Potent. <laughs> I'm very much into the gummy life. I know you brought some stuff that you've been enjoying lately. I want to hear about it. Hallie, what did you bring? What weed-related item did you bring to the show? I'm very excited. Yeah, uh, I brought my raw hemp plastic cigarette rolling machine. Wow. Which it's is- very <laughs> tiny. It's sitting on my desk right now. It sounds like like a the KitchenAid for weed, but it's very, very small. What does it do? It's hilarious that it's called a machine. And I actually yes. never knew the name <laughs> until I was bringing it in. I never knew the name of it Yeah, because I've just had it. Um, it is a little contraption with like a, a fabric or like a, like a vinyl belt mm-hmm. that it's really hard to describe, but basically it I'll becomes, put a in. This yeah, cool. it becomes like a little, a little row for you to like put yeah, it looks your like weed and your filter scroll, in like a it's, Torah. Almost. Yeah. So it's this funny little contraption that 
helps you roll beautiful joints. Cool. And I'm very much uh, in a joint loving phase right now. I used to smoke out of pipes, but now I just like love having like a little a little J with me. Sure. And, um, I love this machine. It allows you to just roll you can roll like an herbal cigarette if you want you can Mm. you can like yeah have a different filter buy a fun rolling paper and just like have your own joints that don't look like shit sure um one of my best uh stoner friends was we were smoking weed and she had this terrible joint and I was like what this joint sucks and she was like well I don't really know how to roll joints and I the only time I have good ones is when I'm like with a guy who rolls them for me. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I'm sending you the, so I sent her a raw hemp plastic cigarette rolling machine. How much does it cost? It costs $4 oh and 22 cents. Wait, it costs $4 and 22 cents. They missed, a, they I missed know, an opportunity there's here. Some, someone made a grave error. <laughs> I think it absolutely should be 420. Something something happened. We probably should write to them. Yeah. But hopefully they're listening to this. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of... When I was looking around my my little weed setup, I, I ended up selecting this, even though there's a lot of things I'm passionate about yeah. in my weed setup, because uh, joints have been so... It's been so fun to just have this little, like process similar to making coffee where you yeah. like I think that a lot of people who smoke weed enjoy this like the ritual of of the grind, doing you grind your mm. weed and then you roll your joint and you have your little paper and then like sometimes I'll roll like three of them for the week and then I have them in a little holder oh, like and planning. like yeah exactly <laughs> that's so cool yeah. so do you so do you put the I'll, I'll show you everybody a picture I'm not gonna be able to describe this it's like we could even do a demonstration do you have stuff to do a demonstration I do yeah I do oh my gosh I would you know what what we'll do because it does I will say this little machine it takes a second to figure out how to do it yeah but once you have it down it's lovely and easy and uh it's uh, one thing that's been really fun is like having people over, especially in COVID. I yeah. would like I would roll guests a joint with like you're a bud tender instead of like because usually like you lick the joint to like oh sorry <laughs> usually you lick the joint to make it um, seal or yeah. whatever. And I would like to be COVID safe. I would like <laughs> use like a wet paper towel and then just have like a nice little joint there for a guest. Nice. I am a butt tender. That, that is like making someone like a drink. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to, we will do a demonstration. What I will do is after we're done recording, we will film it and then we'll put Perfect. it on reels because Perfect. if we do a demonstration, all you're going to hear is me going, Oh, Oh, <laughs> and you will learn nothing from that. So that's amazing. Yeah. I, the thing about the thing about edibles for me, that's always been like, the inviting thing is like it's very on my level. Like I yes. can open this thing; it's already pre-dosed. My mom is me. very into edibles. Uh, this feels like it I would also, behoove me. I don't know if I could roll a joint, but you're right. Like this is a tool that would help you. Yeah, do I've it. seen people roll joints just with their hand or with a chopstick. Mm. Like there's many ways that people get around it, but I'm like, this is. You can make classy little six. Yeah, classy little joints. That's cool. Um, and where did you find it? At a dispensary or like? Can you buy like I can't remember a time when yet? I didn't have it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't remember it. buying it. It actually came out of the womb with me. Yeah, it's like when you're like, well, I don't know the first time I ever heard row, row, row your boat. I just was born knowing row, row, row your boat. <laughs> Hallie was born with these, the joint roller. Is the, Can you buy this kind of stuff online yet? or is It we, is on Amazon because it's no. a, it's oh, a cigarette, cigarette rolling machine. Roller machine. So I think any, so raw, I don't really know much about them, but raw is like, they make rolling papers. They make filters. Okay. Like they're, I think they're in the cigarette game, sure. um, but overlap with with cannabis and 
yeah I, i'm a big fan very of their cool product. and four dollars and 22 cents feels like a steal this feels also like um something that give it a year and there are going to be um and i mean i'm sure they already exist but i'm just not in that world yet like there are much more expensive versions like fancy of versions yeah for sure yeah and i've actually tried like i've tried a couple different things like there's one that like you put it in, you put some stuff in and it like spits out a perfectly rolled joint but it didn't like the work easy bake like it's it claimed <laughs> to do that but it like it, it didn't work like i i don't think you need anything fancier sure. than this to be honest like i i'm very very into it the, the little paper thing yeah you can replace it like okay. it gets kind of like sticky after okay. a while like you'll like replace it like this is made of hemp plastic which i think is cool because that's awesome yeah i'm imagining it like being one of those infomercials for like an air fryer where like it would totally get me you know what i mean it's like just put the weed in the paper and then it like spits out this perfect joint because like every time i see yeah an infomercial for an air fryer i'm like oh my god how did but, it do that yeah the promise is a bit of course I- inflated i think it's simplistic it's too. very simplistic I, that's why i think the word machine is very funny yeah because it's like <laughs> it's like calling a shovel a machine yeah like <laughs> yeah that's so true there's nothing um there's nothing there's it's no it's not uh battery operated Mm -mm. you don't charge it it's literally a piece of plastic with some paper wrapped around it strategically uh and it is a machine wow very cool yeah it's lovely i've never rolled a joint before so now we'll have to figure i mean you're gonna have to i'll give you a little lesson i'm really excited um this is a honestly my friend who i sent one to loves it she rolls her own joints now but this is the kind of thing that these this new wave is like opening up and which it makes me so annoyed and and sad and and furious that like people are in jail for for this kind of stuff when you and I are sitting around being like let's do a reel oh, it's for really it's such a cute little pl- uh, right. cigarette oh, rolling I machine it. yeah um, it really feels like I mean privilege creates an alternate reality right and we are in world. this alternate mm-hmm. reality and it's it's so bizarre to see how you know there's billboards all across LA that are advertising these weed shops and like it's just become like you can get weed delivery in LA you can That's get how weed I delivery get you know advertising companies are like creating campaigns for for weed companies and it's like it feels very uh it feels very like we are living in an alternate reality 100%. and it's like shouldn't the flip side of every billboard be about like cannabis justice or yeah. like shouldn't there be uh, or these advertising companies paying for you know these bails or you know like i don't know i just think about this kind of stuff and and more aware of it in the last year than ever you know kind of always had my own privilege, especially in the last like five or six years, moving out of no, that, that would be 10 years. But like, you know, leaving kind, kind of the bubble in which I grew up, meeting different kinds of people, different backgrounds, different races, different genders. Like obviously, like anything else, the more you're exposed to, the more normal it becomes. So, you know, until I moved to New York City, really, I didn't really know anybody who had a different story than I had. Like, right. And and it is nuts to especially in the last year, I think with all of the conversation around privilege and around also this idea that that white people for a long time the thought the most important thing to convey to people was like I'm not racist like I don't see color like blah 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 that's what we were taught in school and the racist part is not saying like, hey, that person over there is black. The racist part is saying like, no, we're exactly the same and ignoring their reality, which is like extremely different from my own. 
I think that's the piece of it that so many are missing. Yeah. The piece of it that says what racism is. Yeah. Like, that it's like a fundamental misunderstanding of racism isn't just that you're screaming a slur. Yeah. It's that you don't have to worry about most it's shit. It's the systemic part yeah. of the systemic racism talk. Harry Anslinger was fucking wrong. Yeah. Why don't we take that note and run with right. it like oh we made a mistake shaping everything around this guy's racist intention i have this open on my phone and if you guys <clears throat> didn't catch it in the beginning of the episode you really should go look at these gore files because the idea like how i said like he just made up or like fabricated or like exacerbated this idea that like weed made people murderous murder people violence was, some of the things he said were under the evil influence of medical marijuana, a man under the influence of the drug attempted to shoot his wife, killed her grandmother instead, then committed suicide. Uh, a man, 25 years old, assaulted a 10-year-old girl. Then he was pled not guilty because of insanity. He was sentenced to death. A young boy became addicted to smoking weed. Not a thing. Killed his father, mother, two brothers, and a sister. Oh, my like, God. It's like, that has nothing to do with weed. Like, there are a lot of other things to explore here. It's not weed. It's Well, yeah, it's all shit he made up, and it's just trying, and it worked. He was trying it's to fear. B- build up fear to yeah. the point where people would back him, and Congress ended up, like, passing his legislation regardless that it didn't make sense right and there was yeah so much scientific evidence to refute what he was saying and actually there was there was a guy who who was in a position to block that and nick or blocks block something on terms of like oh this is this shouldn't be criminalized and like nixon fired him and wow. was just like oh never, no like there's just been a lot of people trying to yeah to to stop it or say you know say the right thing and as we've experienced with trump it's like fear wins like fear oh wins. get lather up agenda. the fear mm-hmm. and like people will react and that's like shaped everything we're dealing yeah. with yeah everything really has to change and it, and it can't just be about oh we're allowed to smoke weed now and and just like everything like if there's history to all of these situations we find ourselves in and I think that's why when people say like oh the system is broken and other people say actually it's working as intended is because it is working as intended like this exactly. is never like people are not held to the same standards when they're charged for the same crime and you there's a, a world of history and evidence that that's true um I would never be in jail for weed, even when it was illegal. I just know that. And and you would never be in jail. You'd for be weed. given the absolute benefit of the doubt. Yeah, absolutely. They said, <laughs> I think I was just about to say something really I th- I, that I heard that was really um, prophetic. And I realized it came from law and order uh. where, where everything comes <laughs> from. But it was like when when white kids commit crimes, when white underage, like under 18 kids commit crimes they're immediately sent to like a therapist or a psychologist and when black kids commit crimes they're they're tried in court and sent to juvie and and basically labeled criminals and it's true no one i don't know anybody who's ever gotten in trouble with the law for things that they should have gotten in trouble for and they're all white right right it is right this was such an enlightening episode and i'm so happy we did it because weed is not something that we have covered on on the show i'm so glad to glad to introduce it i can't wait to you guys can check out the we're gonna put it up on instagram the reel of hallie showing us how to use the machine um (laughs) again could not describe it for you that's just not my that's not in my skill set maybe like like 
it looks kind of like a bed like a little bed for a mouse yeah. that has that has like a bit like a a badly built bed for a mouse a badly built bed for a mouse is exactly right and when you go to look at the picture you'll be like mm-hmm. yes like, oh, that's a true. mouse would hate sleeping there we will link to like everything we talked about especially all of this really interesting information about um Henry or Harry? Harry. Harry Anslinger. Anslinger. And the gore files and sort of how all of this happened. And I'll also try to find some information about um, the wealth gap and all of those rules about buying property. Because when I learned that, my mind was blown. And then I was like, why is my mind blown? This should not be surprising. Um, More importantly, Directions, uh, Hallie's latest book, is on sale wherever you get books. Do you have a independent bookstore you want to shout out that people should buy from well i love skylight if if you're in la there's there's signed copies there it's a really nice store to go browse in if you want to experience the world again (laughs) um but yeah i just encourage anyone to to shop at at an indie store if you can but if you can't no worries awesome hallie thank you so much for coming uh this was really wonderful again her book directions and then her other book that she wrote with her mom um hazy hopkins which i'll now (laughs) just call her from now on what to do when i'm gone is just so beautiful it's actually i got this for my mom for mother's day and then i also bought a copy for myself it's really really wonderful but again you know bite by bite when you're emotionally ready it is it is very moms um, mom moms get very subject <laughs> always brings up a lot a lot for literally anyone <laughs> so we all have that in common that's yeah. what makes the world go around it's universal our mommy issues um <laughs> hallie thanks for coming it was so nice to have you thank you for having me i'm a big fan Yay, of the show so I'm it's so an honor thank you thank you all right you guys everything will be linked and we'll see you guys next week for another episode of g things just bought it make sure that you go to the g things instagram at if all the time but if not if no other time then next thursday Thursday um, when we will be doing a $2 Thursday uh, uh, to advocate for those um, who are still being um, punished for uh, weed crimes because it's bullshit. Um, So we will see you then. And thanks for joining us.